You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way. This is our third the or faithful. fourth. Third or fourth, somewhere around there. But this is something that we like to do annually. It's something that we like to reach out to the community, invite them here to have a lot of fun because it's for the whole family. You know, sometimes women like to watch games too, right? Any women here that like to watch football? No? Yes, we do back there. Woo! Miss Susie. So this is really fun. This is for the community. You can bring your kids. You can bring your buddies. You can bring the whole house, whoever's barbecuing at your house. You can bring them over. This is for the community, um, and it's a lot of fun. Um, we will be streaming it here on the big screens with the loudspeakers also. So, I mean, how much better can it get to watch a game that way? So we will have a lot of snacks. We will have a lot of food. We will have a food table. We have games. We have prizes. And it's free. So with your admission, as you come in for free, your name will automatically be entered into our quarterly and then uh, raffles. We have big prizes. Our main prize is going to be a 55-inch um, flat-screen smart TV. So if you guys can use a new TV or if you just want to spoil yourself, just show up because you could be the one who wins that TV. Um, we have a lot of other fun prizes, um, and we are still uh, recruiting people to join the teams. We have a couple of teams that are available. We have admissions. We have games. We have prizes, people who are in charge of the prizes in the back and the raffle drawing, people who are in charge of bring, doing the admission, writing the names, giving a ticket as they come in, um, getting the games ready up here at the top. There's lots of places for you guys to come in and serve, and we just ask that you guys join us. You know, if you've never done this before, come and join us. It's fun. Um, we also have, uh, we're taking up donations for prizes, so if there's something in your heart maybe that you would like to donate, um, please feel free to get with Mr. Lauro up there um, or myself. And we can get you guys down for the prizes or for the food. Um, almost everything is already filled out, so we just encourage you guys to stop by the Welcome Center before you leave so you can see what slots are still available. If we fill them all up and you still want to donate, bring it in. It's even better for the community. Okay, so we look forward to seeing you guys. Um, this is on Super Bowl Sunday, the 13th, the 12th, the 12th, I'm sorry. The 13th, the game will be over. Okay, on the 12th. Um, also that day, since it's going to be Valentine's Day or Valentine's Week, um, Ladies Ministry will be doing a bake sale that same Sunday right after church. So if you want to donate something, this is a place where you can, you know, donate here to the bake sale or you can purchase from the bake sale and then donate to the football outreach. So it works together. So if you could just, um, take a look at these, uh, flyers that we have on our social media and you can get more information and ladies ministry if you would like to get more information where to donate or what they would like to accept you can go get with miss miriam miss araceli or yanis and they can help and answer any questions that you guys have so at this time let us go ahead and open up our hearts and get ready to experience life in a new way and kids you guys are dismissed How's everybody's week been? Good? You're like, eh.
We don't know yet. Just started. Glory to Jesus. Well, before we start, where did Kathy? Kathy took off? Kathy, don't leave yet. Come back up. We just want to do something real special. You know, Kathy had a birthday. Aw. So, you know, I just want to say one little thing about her and Laura. You know, they were already going to minister to the kids, but, you know, through the different seasons the church has gone through, this couple has, like, really held it up. So, you know, little thing we didn't forget. Happy birthday, Kathy, because you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. So congratulations on your 25th. Go for it. All right. <laughs> oh, thanks, Kathy, for everything. No, you're very welcome. Blessings. Well, you ready to get in the Word this morning? About half of you are. Okay. I was trying to send a copy to my online. I'm struggling with it, so I'm not sure what's going on. You guys, should fit. You guys back there don't know all the techie stuff that goes on. You're, that's why your head hurts when you leave church, because there's like frequencies, and we're sending files. And Like right now, I'm trying to send a file as I'm talking to you, and it's not cooperating, so we'll just go with it. Okay, so we've been on this... Um, Four weeks, imagine, seems like it went pretty fast, um, this idea of brain break. And for those of you that are newer or just trying to catch up, first of all, I recommend you go back to the podcasts and the archives, and we had a little glitch last week, our internet crashed, and then it kicked back on, and when that happens, it takes a while to reset things, so we weren't able to finish, so we, you know, I, I put the outline out there and so forth, so hopefully it worked. But, you know, the idea of mental health and spirituality has almost, almost been like a something that has a lot of stigma to it, and people, you know, I grew up in church pretty much, and it just seems like it doesn't t- get talked about in church, and nonetheless, it's, I was reading some of the World Health Organization numbers, and they say right now, worldwide, they consider depression the number one, the number one sickness that is reducing quality of, quality of life among the world. That's the number one. Of all the sicknesses and diseases you can think of the world, according to the WHO, the number one that reduces quality of life, not death, just the quality of your life. Across the world, number one, over a trillion dollars spent every year just on treating depression. So I think the church has to address it. And from the front end, you know, I addressed it by saying everything that I'm going to say is things that have been, first of all, biblical, because we're here in church, say amen. You know, what does the Bible say? That's our, that's our first foundation. And the other thing is, you know, to approach it, if you are on a, and I, and, I, and I broke all this down, so I don't want to take a lot of time because we have a lot of ground to cover this morning, the biological depression, which is, you know, there is something physically, you know, there's been lab work done, and there's medicine that will help, and that, that's, you know, follow the path. You know, whatever works for you, that's what you have to do. But there are as many of them, many, and the more they, the more they, they look at it, they've, they're coming to, you know, a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists, and they're adopting even different techniques where it used to be just pour medicine into people. Now they're talking about talk therapy and, and training people and skills. And, and guess what? The Bible has all these things. And I think where we are is that we're trying to learn how the, this thing works outside of the realm of biology. In other words, if you've been diagnosed with this thing, do what you've got to do. And we still believe for your healing. God still heals. But there's so much of it that is not biological. In other words, there's no really science to prove so. It comes through thoughts, through traumas, past traumas, childhood issues, um, you know, PTSD. We could go on and on and on. Life coming at you, traumatic events in your life will kick off these things. And I was reading some things. I'm still on the introduction. The, 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 this, um, gosh, oh, I forget his last name. Doc, it was a doctor. He was studying, and, and they found out that 
they were looking at this idea of depression, and they say it's always like one event in your life that kind of sets your, your head in this depression mode, which is really weird because, you know, people don't really have depression. There'll be something maybe in your childhood, maybe your teenagers, maybe whenever that, that will put that, and then your brain kind of reformats itself for a condition. And it's really interesting because, we're, and, we'll, and, you know, if we get to it, and as the Lord permits, I don't want to just, you know, this is not a seminar, this is church, but this is an important subject because, you know, we, we have to think about, as believers, you know, the one thing that Jesus came to do was to give your life meaning. Say amen. I mean, if nothing else, you know, without Jesus, I mean, what are we just breathing? We'll go to work and someday die, and that's it. But Jesus brings meaning and life and joy. Well, of course, you know, if you believe in Jesus, you've got to believe in, in, you believe in spiritual things. And, and, of course, if you believe in spiritual things, you've got to believe in the dark one. Look at the world. Look at all the evil stuff that happens. You know, if you want to call it Satan, we call him Lucifer, call him whatever. But there is an evil, dark thing that gets on people. And we see it, right? You know, just look at the news, <laughs> if you don't believe me. So there's a spiritual concept where the devil, you know, will, will just try to get you in, in a bad place, mentally. Because you can't function. How many know you can't function when you're down? You can't function when you're, you're oppressed and you're obsessed and you've got all this stuff going in your head. So God has made a path and, you know, for these things, and that's really what this, the, you know, the, the scope of the study is. So... I want to approach it a little different this morning. We're going to go to a different story, but I, want to, I just want to make my, my last few notes as we enter. And first of all, every person, you in this room watching me online, or if you ever listen to this in the future, and if you've ever struggled, maybe you're the one person that's never had an issue. Glory to God. That, you know, most people deal with some form of this in their life in some way. And, but every person had a pathway in. You, you know, there was something events in your life or what have you, and that's what I referred to previously, um, that made a path in to this place. You want to call it the shadow? We've, you, we know we've been using Psalm 23 as one of the foundations, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So you could call it that shadowy place, that dark place in your life, what have you. So you walked in, you know, maybe somebody pushed you in. I would say walk in. But in other words, there was a process of walking in. Guess what? And there's a process of walking out. And that's really where the skills come in. And today it's really going to be good. Now, hopefully I can cover this. You know, we do. I, I, are we set for communion today? We have communion? No? Okay. We'll do it next Sunday. I, I was, we were going to get the communion service back. So that helps me a bit because, like I said, there's a lot. I got to clock everything to make sure, you know, you guys don't. Because you guys at 12, you guys just, I don't care if I preach till 1. You guys are done at 12. You're like, click the brain off. I'm not listening to another word you're saying. So each person has a pathway in. And guess what? Everybody's different. Everybody's completely different. So what, you know, what could be traumatic for one person might be every day for another person. You know, they're just like, whatever. And so don't, you know, it's hard to make judgments on people. When somebody's struggling with it, some people say, well, just, you know, you just need to snap out of it. Well, you're not them. That would be nice, right? Just snap out of it. How many wish you could do that when you're in that little spot? So, you know, just remember that. And which is the best approach? Guess what? The one that works for you. Which is the best approach? The one that you practice and you see results. And I'm telling you, the things that I'm teaching, I have been practicing. I'm not an expert. And it's hard because you've got to retrain, re- reformat, you know, a lot of these things that I'm teaching. But it can be done. So let's go into it this morning. And I want to start with the story of Paul. And go ahead and give me the first one. So the very first note I put up there is the ultimate goal is not happy. Read that. Get that in your heart right now. The ultimate goal is not happy. The ultimate goal is peace. All right? Because you can have peace in absolute turmoil. 
and you cannot be happy in turmoil. Y'all with me? Happy is more of an emotion expression. Peace is more of an interior, how can I put it, position. You set yourself in peace. Come what may, I'm not moved. Now, that's what we're going to learn today. How can we live there? Now, let's start with Paul. Let's go to the first one. This, I love Paul. He's my hero because I can relate to him. And Paul was not always, well, let, let me put it this way. Let's, let's just go, let's just follow. Philippians 4. Let's, let's look at Paul towards the end of his life. Number one, number two, he's writing this in one of the most horrible prisons that you could ever, ever imagine existed, which was in the sewer, which was in the tank of the palace in Rome. And that's where people died. Well, he writes this letter, and I'm going to get into all the history of how that works. And he writes this letter to the church in Philippi, because they're the only church that remembered him. And it's a happy letter, and it's a joyful letter in a very harsh circumstances. And this is what he says, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. So now he's summering up, you know, he says, this is, you know, this is one thing I'm going to set as the closing foundation of everything else I've told you. So when that word final is not just a, you know, you know, it's funny because I do the same thing, you know, we're going to close and then he writes three chapters, one final thing, and then he writes you know, a lot more. But the final thing was that this is fundamental. In other words, this is what will close this idea, and Philippians, one of the characteristics of the book is that it's one of the, you know, the personality of the book is joy. Some people call it the joyous book, you know, the happiest, happiest letter that Paul wrote, okay? Then he gives us these ideas, and everything that we've been teaching is so clear here. First of all, he says, fix your thoughts. That's what this whole teaching has been about, about getting, you know, practical things that you can use in your life where you are in control of your thoughts, and guess what? Your thoughts aren't in control of you. So that means fix your thoughts, and then he tells you exactly what it is. He says, on what is true, what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. When you read that, you're like, Paul, he's such an amazing, lovely individual. And he is, and he's right. He's pouring his heart out of love to the church in Philippi. And you just see this guy, this older apostle that's gone through so much of his life, you know, serving God, and there's a softness about him. There's this character about him like a man that has resolved some things in his life, and he can write a, from a horrible place, he can write a beautiful letter. Now, this is interesting because Paul wasn't always like that. <laughs> that's what really got my attention because I'm looking at my life, and most of you that have been with me, you know, this front row right here, been with me probably the longest other than this one, <laughs> you know, and they're like, yeah, Pastor, you've changed. Hopefully. Because I used to be like, well, I was zealous and burned the place down, you know. And Paul has a transformation. So, why, so this is the reason I'm using Paul as an example. You can change the way you are. Amen. You don't have to remain in the hole. You don't have to be, well, I was born this way and I'll just be this way. And my mom and my daddy and my dad's dog was like that. So I'm just going to be like this. No, you can change. So watch the transformation. So this is a, and we're going to see this at the end. If I don't finish today, I'll just push it next week because there's, we have a lot to cover and I don't want to rush it. I see you guys getting up with communion stuff ready. All right, I guess we're doing communion. Okay, I love this church, man. <laughs> Praise God. All right, make time for it, Selma. Thank you. Okay, give me the next one. I want to show you a previous version of Paul. So we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 15. And Paul and Barnabas are buddies, you know, 
BFFs. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit its city where we previously preached the word of the Lord. Well, that sounds like a beautiful plan to see how new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Here we go. Everything is beautiful. We're planning a mission trip. We're going to Cuba. We're going to preach the gospel. Now, they're not going to Cuba. I'm just saying, you know, bring it into today's vernacular. And then Barnabas decided, I want to bring John Mark. You know who he's referring to? He's actually referring to the John Mark that wrote, guess what? The Mark. <laughs> so, you know, you know, God honored him, I guess, at the end. But guess what happens? Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not continued with them in their work. In other words, I fired him. I'm not hiring him back. <laughs> That's basically it. Now, no, nobody's paying. Now, these are the church, early church. church is, there's no books. There's no references. They're just trying to figure this thing out. They have this, this meltdown. Paul has this meltdown. And he gets so irritated. Listen, look, look at everything that happens. First of all, look at the plan. If you don't think the devil loves strife and loves to mess with your head, look at the plan. Let's go back and visit your city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how new believers are doing. Ah, that's a noble cause, but it all went south once they got in a fight. (laughs) Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated and Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Sounds like your family, doesn't it? (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, I can relate to that. You know, everybody's having a great day, and then somebody gets in a mad, and I'm going with my mama's house, and here we go. So where I'm going is, let's analyze the character of Paul, because this is such a beautiful, beautiful story that you can change, that you don't have to remain in whatever attitude, negativity, depression, anxiety, anything else that life has thrown at you. Because you, some of you just resign. You say, I guess this is the way it's going to be the rest of my life. No, it doesn't have to be that way. So then, let's go to 2 Timothy 4. Again, by this time, Paul's had to change apart. You know some of the things that, I want to say something that's going to be shocking. I don't know, maybe I should like taper it down, but it's in the Bible. He got so mad at the Galatians. <laughs> I told Dennis Burke this. He says, I've never seen that in the Bible. I said, it's in there. You know where I'm going, Nate. He got so mad at the Galatians because they had this, this religious thing about do you get circumcised or you don't get circumcised because the Judaizers were trying to circumcise the new believers that were coming in the church because they were Jews. And, they were, and, and, and Paul got so irritated with it. Then he, he concluded, says, if you guys want to do that, why don't you just cut the whole thing off? That's in the Bible, believe it or not. <laughs> he told them, I mean, this Paul's got an attitude. And then he's sarcastic. We wouldn't know anything about that. He says, oh, Galatians, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who put a spell on you? I mean, this guy has attitude. He's like, Pastor, you can relate. It's definitely. I mean, this is me. Don't get in my face because I'll use the Bible to hurt you. <laughs> you know, That's what Paul was doing. He says, so here we go. John Mark gets a fight with Barnabas, tells the Galatians off, tells the Corinthians off. I mean, and some of them were justified. But he wasn't very pastory about it. He was like, burn it down. You don't agree with me? Cut it all off. Well, that's pretty serious. So, you know, he has all these ideas, but let's look now at what happens in Timothy. Now, this is years and years and years later, around the season of his arrest. And he writes back to Timothy, and listen what happens. Only Luke is with me. He's in prison at this point. And look what he says. Bring who? Mark with you. For he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Now, if you don't believe this man had something happen on the inside, it is very obvious to me. The Paul 
that Jesus met in the road to Damascus is not the Paul that was martyred in Rome. It wasn't. Something happened. So with these ideas, the reason I'm using this story is don't you ever give up on this. Don't you ever give up on this. Because if somebody like Paul that had such a horrible internal issues, and he had them, had an amazing change, and it was by the grace of God. So, you know, you are in the perfect place. But what you do have to learn, and this was really the scope of this whole series, was are there skills, Pastor? Are there things that I can leave this church this morning and begin? Yes, there are. And that's what we, you know, I told you we've been kind of building into it. So today really will be kind of a summary. You'll hear some things that you heard, you know, at the beginning. But we're going to begin summarize this, and I'm going, to sh- I'm going to give you some skills and, you know, take some notes, screenshot it. But we're going to break it up. So let's introduce this idea of what are the skills. So first of all, let's, let's, let's settle something that you can settle even right now. You will make a decision. You, know, you, you have something called cognitive rigidity or you have cognitive fluidity. And when I was studying these things, I saw that, wow, you know, this is one of the first levels of transference that you have to make the decision today that you don't want to, uh, give me the next slide, I think it's on the next one so they can follow with me. Um, so cognitive rigidity is something in your life that has, you know, it could, it could have been brought on by experience, by your parents. Usually our parents are the ones that teach us, the ones that form our character, form our personality. That's why I say parents, the first five years of your kid, really, really pay attention because those five years are when its personality will be formed. And if you, you know, and that's why kids sometimes get all screwed up because, they have a harsh, you know, yelling, intense environment. Well, that forms them, and then they become that adult. So some of us, you know, I had this. I had this. I, when I was studying this, I'm like, my God, I never put a name to it, but I, but I had this. When I got saved, it's funny because I didn't have it when I was a heathen. But something happened in my process of thinking that I became very rigid in what I allow or don't allow and process. Now, there's a good for this. You know, you don't want to let everything go in your brain. But, it is, but it, is, it is toxic in the approach of the things that we're going to do. So before I give you the steps or the, the points that I'm going to touch upon, you have to decide this. Are you cognitive rigid? So in other words, what would that be? Do you have a dogmatic approach to thinking and problem something? Are you inflexible? Are you resistant to new ideas and willing to change beliefs? Do you have difficulty adapting to new situations? Do you have difficulty forming meaningful relations? You have difficult resolving conflicts. So if that kind of defines your personality, well, then you're, you're a rigid person. That doesn't mean it can't change, because all it really takes to change is a decision. You don't, need a, you don't need a lot of therapy to change this, because a decision is to simply say, that has not worked for me. What has that brought me? And maybe there's another option to the way I think. Because we're locked in, church. We're locked in in the way we think. We said, this is the way I think. And that's, that's not good because there's always, you know, the Bible is one amazing book that every time you read a passage, especially if you're dealing with something, you can read the same passage and it will apply to ten different things. Amen? You know, and, and this is the thing, but you have to be open. Because we've learned things. I learned things, let's just start with religion. I learned things from religion. I've learned things even in our camp. When I say our camp, you know, there's nothing wrong with any camp, just, you know, the line that you're in. Serving Jesus, the word camp, whatever you want to call it, non-denominational, where I completely disagree, and I had to, but I was so rigid, I, w- I, was, I was not willing to accept facts. Now it's going to get real. 
Because rigid thinking has a way of justifying everything into that harshness. So, you know, facts don't really mean a whole lot when you have this. On the other hand, cognitive fluidity refers to the ability to be flexible, adaptable, and open-minded in one's thinking and problem-solving approach of circumstances. So what do we have? We have better problem-solving skills. We have improved decision-making. And guess what the big one? You grow. You begin to grow. When you are locked into your way of thinking, you don't grow. Amen? One of the things, before I go, we're going to get into these fundamental skills in a moment. I'm just going to give you a few fundamental skills that you can begin to apply. But one of the fundamental things, and this is, you know, one of the studies, before I even get into it, one of the studies has shown that the people that overwhelmingly have conquered depression and have improved their quality of life, and this is, this is not a, this is, this is something in all the studies I do, they have, they have proven if that pe- person is pointing forward, in other words, if that person is willing to walk the walk and is not locked in into their, you know, let me just, <laughs> careful what you say, Pastor Bob. I'm getting good. See, I'm, see, I'm nice. I'm nice now. Those that face their unchangeable past. That's what I was trying to reword it. So either you're facing forward and say, I have a problem, I'm going to get fixed, or you become rigid and you just lock yourself in to your past. And that's just medical. They stone the people that they can get their fluidity in their thinking, those people will move forward and will have a better quality of life. Okay? Now, let's go into it this morning. So I'm trying to I'm not trying to rush it, but I do want to get to it. Let's talk about some fundamental skills. So once again, let's go to Isaiah 26.3, and it says, You will keep, pay attention, very powerful scripture. You will keep in perfect peace all. Okay? That is God's covenant. But then comes your part. Say, my part. Look at your neighbor and say, your part. <laughs> once again, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So it is depending on where your head is. You agree with that? And you say, that's beautiful. In church, it's so easy to think about Jesus and God. But when you get into the real world and you have problems and life and people slamming at you, it is sometimes kind of hard to go there. So this is where the training comes in. So I want to break down, like, the problem. And if you relate, you relate. If you don't, you don't. But these are the most common things that happen in people that struggle with internal information, internal depression. Again, we're, we're talking about things that are not biological. So the first one will be something called internal orientation. What is that? Well, internal orientation is what drives you inwardly. It's self-absorption. Internal orientation is how people focus on their own thoughts, their feelings, emotions. And here it comes. We talked about this last week. Using your feelings to make decisions, that is not a good thing. You know, this idea of follow your feelings is not always the best advice. Just follow your heart. But wait, if your heart's wrong, don't follow it. Hello? Just follow your heart, and your heart's depressed, and your heart's not thinking straight? No, you need some good advice. Amen? So, so internal orientation is basically you have decided that your life will be guided primarily emotionally. Primarily. And, of course, emotion, feelings, thoughts. They all go together. 
you know, a thought will always create a thought will always create an emotion. I don't care what thought it is. It might be a light emotion, it might be a heavy emotion. And then how you process it. What you don't want to do is guide your life because this is one of the key reasons people are sunken in, de- in, in depression. Because they keep absorbing everything, identity coming inside, taking the emotions. So what would be the skill to fix it? Here we go. Next one. So your skill would be identify negative thoughts and beliefs. We talk, so we're kind of recapping a lot of what we talked about. But you see, we say things, and don't raise your hand, but I said, how many of you, well, I said a few weeks ago, two weeks, you need to start a thought journal. Don't raise your hand. All right, but, you know, but if you did and you're really proud of it, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, one person. All right. You see, if you don't, if you, don't you know, there's instructions to fix you. But if you're willing to, you know, if you start skipping this one and this one, I can't guarantee it works. So the thought journal is an important thing because that helps you see yourself like you've never seen. Because journals are like, oh, I had a great day and everybody behaved and my life is so good. You know? No, I say, my thought was this. I want to kill my cat. Why? I don't know. Just write it down because once you write it, guess what? You're going to have to look at that and say, like a third person, why are you, looking at, why, why are you thinking that way? Because there's a key issue. There's always a key issue and a lot of it will be this internal orientation. So your skill is you identify the thoughts and beliefs. Number, number two, you be honest with yourself about what you're thinking and feeling. And challenge the negative thought. Challenge it. Once you have an identified negative thoughts, it's important you challenge them. In other words, where are you coming from? Why are you there? Consider whether it's based on evidence or assumptions and whether there are other perspectives or explanations that could be considered. That, so a person that is an internal orientation, has not developed those skills. So here's, you know, what's, you wanted skills this morning? There's your first skill. Begin to identify your negative thoughts. Where are they coming from and why are they there? So, number two, we've talked about this one a lot, rumination. That's another little word that, you know, comes from the cattle industry. <laughs> but it basically means you keep chewing on the same thing. That's what it means. Rumination is just keep chewing on the same thing. So rumination, what's rumination? A repetitive negative cycle of thinking about the same problem or situation without finding a solution. And the problem with rumination is that a problem without a solution is just a wish or a problem without a plan. So rumination is not bad if, if, it's, if it's taking you to a plan that is applicable. But rumination is horrible if all you sit there all day and just what you said, you said this to me, and just snowball. Guess what? That brings you to a place of depression. And most of rumination, amazingly, comes from relationships. Most people don't ruminate that their car didn't start. Most people ruminate of what their mom told them, or what your husband said, or what they did to you, or what why this didn't happen, or I was ashamed, or I was embarrassed, or ah. That's where most rumination happens. Well, here's the thing. Where's rumination taking you? Location. You know, they're saying location, location, location. Rumination's always in the past. You can't ruminate in the future. Because <laughs> rumination is rehashing events. Rumination is rehashing something that there's no way you can change. Unless somebody comes up with a time machine, how many would like that one to go fix a few messes that you did? <laughs> so every problem has a structure. Every problem had a structure to be created, and guess what? Every problem has a structure to repair it. But pointless rumination will never bring you to the structure. 
It would only bring you to deeper and deeper depression. So what would be the skill that we could apply for this? Okay. So your skill would be you shift focus to your present moment. Next one, please. And by learning new coping strategies to manage thoughts and emotions. In other words, one of the best ones is practicing mindfulness. And we mentioned mindfulness. And some people, mindfulness is not, so when you say that word, people get like, ah, you're new age. No, no, no. Mindfulness, is, it's, a, it's actually, it's been studied as a science. But it's very, it's very biblical because mindfulness is basically bringing your mind into your awareness. Amen? Bringing your mind into your thinking. And rumination is about all this stuff. Mindfulness is about what's happening now. And here's again, the more you practice it, the better you get. You know, the more you practice it, the better you get. Because your thoughts, you just all you have to do is break it. And one of the easiest ways to break a thought pattern is talk. Speak the word. Get a scripture. When you feel like nothing's going your way, when you feel it, just sit there and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And speak it, don't think it. Because once you speak it, that rumination is gone. Now, when you stop speaking, it might come back. You know, you got it on a loop. This is real quiet in the church because some of you are like, oh, he's reading my mail. No, we're reading everybody's mail, trust me. This head, <clears throat> I want to punch it sometimes, all right? So your skill is shift your focus to present. Consistently practice present, present. I was, I was reading something on mindfulness. This, I haven't practiced it, but I'm going to hopefully start practicing it was really interesting because mindfulness is just bring yourself to your present moment. And, there, I mean, you guys have the Internet. You guys can dig all this stuff out. But it says even, I thought this was really cool, even when you eat, be present. Every time you chew, think about the taste. Think about the food. And he says, guess what? You'll eat a lot less food. I'm like, okay, maybe that's what I need. <laughs> because I eat like the house is on fire. Anybody? You give me a burger... 30 seconds flat, gone. Come on, anybody like that? Mindfulness is about creating a mental view where the only thing that matters is peace. So if I'm eating, I'm like, hmm, this broccoli sure tastes delicious. Well, I probably would never say that because I never eat broccoli. But anyway, your, your moment, your moment. Your moment. I'm going to give you a piece of advice. When, they, when a kid talks to you, adults, from now on, I'm not, I, I'm not your dad, not rules, practice this. This is practice mindfulness. When your kid talks to you, the moment he addresses you, put your phone down. Immediately engage with your eyes to his eyes. Because that is mindfulness. When you're like, he's talking and you're here, that kid is completely disconnected of the presence. He's disconnected from your present. And he's very disconnected from his own because he, you're telling him what you say doesn't matter. And you're creating a little cognitive little thing in his head where you're undermining his existence and his importance in life. Very quiet now, huh? Everything's everything. Remember, the thing is, and we haven't got to it. I don't want to, like, bounce around on the teaching. But, you know, again, I'm really praying about God even on this one. But if, you, if we don't touch, touch it, you need to study neuroplasticity. You need to just at least look into it. You know, be curious. Because neuroplasticity is, your brain is always, always making new neurotransmission and connections. Now, for example, again, all these studies have shown, for example, I'll show you a, a real quick example. Because mindfulness is really about this. It's really close to this. 
a musician like myself or like you know the band, every time we have to learn a new song or, or, or a lead or whatever that we don't know, well, we create a new neurotransmitter that did not exist. It did not exist until you learned that part. Once you learned it, you're bringing it, bing, I got a new one. You got a new neuron. And science has shown that musicians, all well, you're going to go become musicians now, watch. We don't have any more room on stage, so don't get excited. But this has shown that overall musicians historically don't ever get Alzheimer's. Hmm. Why? Because they're constantly creating new neuron transmitters. So when you begin to do something you've never done, learn something, read a book, play an instrument, talk to your family, engage people, go on a trip, everything that, that, that engages to create a new thought pattern. What, what is bad is it also works in reverse. If your life is full of turmoil and trauma and offense and yelling and just bad, 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 it's the same thing. Pop, 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 pop. So now you got all this thing, and these kids grow up, and guess what? Science has also shown that these people will tend and lean more into depression. Interesting how all this comes together. So learning to shift your focus to the present moment, in other words, recognize that thought. That, that's what that, that um, you know, cognitive, just being able to, you know, don't being so rigid, and you're flexible to say, I need to change. So here's what happens. You begin to grow into this, and you say, why in the world do I keep thinking this if it can't change anything? In other words, to get rid of rumination, very simple. Does your thought, whatever you're ruminating on, is it creating a plan that is applicable? If it's not, that's where you get your little journal out that most of you conveniently ignored. And you're right. I'm thinking this about what she told me 40 years ago. Anybody? I'm thinking this about my dad walked out on me when I was five. That's traumatic. But guess what? It's in your past. And people will have miserable lives because their whole life they just ruminate of what could have been, should have been, what she said, what she didn't say. And like I said, most, most rumination runs around relationships. So be careful, relationships. Okay, let me give you another one. Past orientation. Past orientation refers to individuals focused on past experiences and events. In other words, is this the same, isn't this the same as internal orientation? No, past orientation is all your decisions are controlled by your past. I mean, something happened in your past, and it happened, and the example I, I use, so you can understand what past orientation means, it will be something similar to somebody say, I won't be happy until someone fill in the bank. That's past orientation. In other words, you're, you're going into your past and saying, well, this got messed up in my past, and until that fixes, there's no moving forward. Well, guess, guess again, that little word keeps coming up, past, past, past. So, you know, past control is past predicted. What does that mean? Whatever decision I made, whatever decision I made, I guess I will never have that job for whatever reason. In other words, you're kind of predicting your own future. Because your past is control, so your past is predicting your future, in other words, and it becomes a loop. I'll never amount to anything. Why? Because, you know, you failed here or you failed there. But, but here's the thing. You, pay attention, if you don't, write this down, please. You are more than your history. Say it. 
I'm more than my history. In other words, his, what is history? History is a record of past events. That's all it is. And your history is the same thing. It's just a record of past events. And the more you can put it in this compartment and say, those past events, these are, these are the skills that I was told you, you know, we can tell you for two weeks, I'm going to give you some skills, is to say, no. Mindfulness, my present, I'm here. And the only reason I'm going to go in my past is to dig up either good experiences, happy moments, or learned issues. That's the only reason I would go in my past. Because all the dumb stuff I did, I can't fix that. All the dumb stuff I said, I can't fix that. Amen? So, and, and the thing is, or whatever told you, so past orientation is just basing kind of fun, you know, whatever happens in your future, you're just going back to your past. Again, big swords and one of the, one of the swords. And the next, so the skill to this one would be learn to process past traumas and experiences once again, by learning to focus on the present, and in this case, and the future. Well, I thought you said we're living the moment. Yes, but you can plan for the future. That gets exciting, right? You're planning a vacation. Those are things that launch you where? Forward. So instead of ruminating, instead of digging into your past, instead of trying to figure out how, how you know, orienting your past, make a decision to say that all my decisions are going to be, word, you know, not going to say word-based, God-based, obviously, but they're only coming from my present and in forward. They're never going to go, I'm not making decisions, I cannot make decisions based on past experiences. Because one thing they are, they're past experiences. Amen? So that would be, and again, I'm, I'm going, this is really like, hopefully this will just ignite something in you where you go and do your own research and, and dig in further, because this is a really, really, really deep subject. I, I found these scriptures, and listen to this, regarding this one, because the past orientation, to me, is one of the biggest things that I see in, in, you know, in, in church culture. And Paul made a statement in Philippians 3, and I'll read it right now. It should be on the screen um, in a minute, moment. And in Isaiah 43, God made a statement. But I want you to see this because these are so clear to what I'm saying. This is what God says. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Now, he's talking prophetically about the, the nation of Israel being restored, coming from slate, and all that stuff. So we're not going to get into that. But the truth here is this. For I'm about to do something new. You see, God is about new, church. And if you as a believer, you see these things in, in your life, it doesn't line up to God because God is about new creation. If I can say it this way, new creation policies. That's what he works on. He's, he's, he's not digging, you know, well, you know, no, he's like, this is, the, this is redemption. This is how it is. I'm making a new thing. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make pathways to the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. That is so beautiful. And, you know, I'm not trying to push every scripture into the teaching, but that's sometimes how people could feel inside. Dry, empty, no direction. God said, no. You focus on you. Get your head out of your past, and you'll begin to see the new thing. Glory to God. Amen. Now, this is my favorite one. Paul again, same book, Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. Pay attention, because here's the great apostle Paul, and he's going to give us one advice. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. He's talking about the high calling, just so you get the context. But I focus on this one thing. Everybody say one thing. Say it like you mean it. Say it like you want to go home. Oh, my God, why is that one so loud? One thing, 
And boy, this is a big one. And this is what that whole point has been about. Forgetting the past. You want Bible? Forgetting the past. Well, here, let's, 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 let's take a, little, a moment on this one. You can't forget the past unless I hit you with a two-by-four and you have amnesia. It's not going out of your head. There's not a pill yet. So what is he referring to? You can't, you know, God says, I remember your sins no more. Well, God can do that because he's God, but we can't. So what, he, what does he mean? So he says, remember, let me, let me read it. I focus on one thing, forgetting the past. Forgetting the past. Well, Pastor, how does, how does that work? Forgetting the influence that your past has over you. Breaking the influence that your past has over you. Breaking the lies that your past has over you. That's what he means by forgetting. In other words, separating yourself. It doesn't mean, oh, I can't remember what I did yesterday. No. It says separate yourself. Okay. I didn't even invoke you. Too many women talking to me in my life. You get over there. <laughs> you get over there. You sit down. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> this church, you, know, you always have these moments, you know. <laughs> See, now my whole train of thought, just like, <laughs> open our Bibles to John 3, 16. We'll just start a whole brand new sermon. <laughs> Forgetting the past, and it's so easy, but you have to, pr- this is a skill. You guys, you know why I use the word skill? Because a skill is something you get taught, but you just, it, it's up to you to perfect it. That's what a skill is. I, I can teach you the basics on how to play guitar. I, you know, I, I've given guitar lessons. I can teach you the fundamentals. But for you to go forward or not, it's up to you. Well, it's the same thing with this. These are skills. And the skill is that every time your past tries to haunt you, what does the scripture say? Just do what the scripture says. Don't do what Pastor Box says. Just do what the scripture says. I look forward. Whenever your past screams to you, say, shut up. I'm looking forward. I look, there's nothing there to look at. Well, what am I going to look back there? I can't fix anything. But guess what? There's a lot of opportunities right in front of me. There's tons of opportunities that I can create. So I'm going to forget the past. And this is why it's a kicker. Because, for example, in my life, I fought this thing off. And, oh, my gosh, I, I don't even want to tell you stories how much I fought this thing. Because one of the things that I, <laughs> I still do, I still have, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur ever since I was little. I, got some, I, I would sell postcards outside of the pyramids in Cholula when I was like nine, and it would freak everybody out because, because my aunt, she had a store where she sold all the arts and crafts, and I was there, and I'd hang out with her. Well, here, take a box, and she'd give me all these postcards of the pyramids of Cholula and not the hot sauce of town, guys. That's where, I, that's where I grew up. That's my hometown, okay? So I would go up there, and here's this little... Nine-year-old kid selling postcards, but he would speak in English. It would freak all the tourists out, you know? Perfect English. And I'd always be selling and buying and selling, and, and, and it just seemed like I could never make it. And then, you know, I became a teenager, and then I became an older teenager. And then, I, then I continued my entrepreneurish. It wasn't totally legal. That's beside the point. Still didn't work. I had a candy store. We, had, we sold shoes. I'm just talking about the legal stuff, okay? We sold shoes. Illegally, some, once we sold trees off a hill. She, she did that. So she's bad. Oh, we could write a book, guys, uh, uh, crazy stuff, you know? And one of the things was my businesses would just not really work out. 
Well, that was when I was a heathen, and I was stupid, and I had a paint company. I had um, all kinds of different things. And they were, they were, so when I get born again, you know, I have a job, and I just know that for me to be able to do what I really want to do for God, I have to have my own business. There's just no way this works working for somebody. You agree with that? If I had a schedule, you guys need a different pastor because I don't work for the church. Okay, I, not, I'm not employed by you. So I have to create resources. So one of the things that would hold me back, I'd have these ideas, I'd have these business ideas and investment ideas, and the devil would say, oh, that's sweet, Diana, but you remember last time you tried that? Remember what happened? You're like, oh, that was such, yeah. So once again, our past controls our future. What has God told you to move forward in your life with anything? It could be a business, family, dreams, your own home, whatever. But something in your past is so powerful that it keeps you from moving forward. Well, I had to overcome that before I could ever quit my job. And I had a good job, and you know, I'd, be, I'd, be on, <laughs> I'd be retiring right now. Oh, Jesus. Um, from an automotive industry company, you know, I would have been in, on easy street, probably living in Michigan, what I don't know what to do up there, but until I broke that, I was not willing to let go of my job. Now, I'm not saying anybody quit your job, please, don't be, I'm not going to support you, so don't be doing it. If God told you to do your own business, go for it. But until I broke that, I, was, I did not have the courage to quit my job. That's a sim- I'm, I'm just giving you my life story on this one point. Until I was able to look at this, and that's why it's one of my favorite scriptures, because I had, I had spent so much time on this, trying to resolve it, because I kept, instead of looking forward, we were looking backwards. And if you want to beat depression, church, and if you want to beat anxiety, and you want to beat this hole that you live in, you can't look backwards. And that's a skill that you practice, and you practice, and you practice. Your, your brain is, you messed up, you said this, your business went bad, da, 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 da. All that information is back here. And it's a skill set to say, uh-uh, that's not my thought. So this scripture really teaches it perfectly. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies again, and then I love this, I press on. When you're doing this, you don't, you don't have time to, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. If you want to really be free, you don't try this. You make a decision today, I'm going to be free. And I'm going to press through whatever garbage i got to press and whatever emotional garbage i got to press, I'm going to press, 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 press till I find peace. And I'm not giving up till I find peace. Amen? I press on to reach the end of the race. Everything is about your present and your future. Amen. Glory to God. I press on the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God Christ is calling in us. I know that was a long one, but that is a very, very important. Get, resolve your past orientation. Next one, global thinking. Well, global thinking is not a bad thing if you just look for a definition Global thinking, as you can see globally, you understand movements, you understand where it's really bad, is when you internalize global thinking. And now it's, you know, because global thinking is the person's broader perspective ability to see the interconnectedness of all things. Well, that's not a bad thing if you're talking about business. That's not a bad thing if you're talking about ministry. That's not a bad thing if you're talking about moving your, your family forward, you know, college and all this kind of thing. But it gets really bad when this kicks in. So global thinking, I'm kind of sorry I mixed up the skill. The skill should be on the bottom. But it's overgeneralizing and overthinking. Overgeneralizing is basically, you know, 
I can't do this. You know, for example, let's say, um, I'm trying to think of an example to, to show you what global thinking is. For example, you know, you, you, take a t- you, know, you go to a job, and, and you do the interview, and you fail it, for example. And you come out, and you say, well, I guess I'll never get a job. That's global thinking. Well, how do you fix global thinking? Say, you would come out of that instead of saying some dumb statement like that and getting more depressed and pushing you into a, into a, a mental state of depression because you failed your interview. You would say, I need to develop more skills to be able to qualify for that job. It's as simple as that. But global thinking is easy because I guess I'll never have a job like that. I guess I'll never be happy. Global thinking. I guess I'll never have a family like that. Because this, because that. In other words, global thinking puts it super big, and it really is hard to problem solve when your mind is everywhere. Because global thinking is sister to rumination. (laughs) And they just cover everything. So you're overgeneralizing, overthinking. It affects problem solving. You have big goals but no plan. And, of course, a goal without a plan is a wish. I said that previously about another statement. You need the ability to think linear in the specific areas of your help. And this is what I said about two weeks ago. If I told you, well, I've heard this too many times, you know, in counseling and and pastoring, and I'm sure you've heard it or you've said it, I've said it, a statement like to say, I just want to be happy. Well, that's that's noble. I just want to be happy. But if I told you, okay, what's the first step? Some of you might have to take some time to think about it. So if I broke down happiness into 50 steps, what's the first step? Because here's the, here's an example I used a few weeks ago, and I'm going I'm to say it again just to, to illustrate the point. If I was to tell somebody, I want you to write out instructions to somebody that has never, ever taken a bath. I want you to write instructions on how to take a bath. Well, some of you would go, get wet, lather, rinse. Well, that's true. But for somebody that has never, ever, ever taken a bath, that's not enough. Because you need to go to step one. What's a bath? Step two, where is it? In a house. What's a house? I mean, this guy knows, imagine you pull somebody out of, the jungle, and said, you need to take a bath. Here are the steps. And you'd have to go through, as a person walks in, that's a toilet, that's a sink, <laughs> that's a hot water. And now you got the guy, you know, he's standing in the shower, but you forgot to tell him to flip that little thing so the water comes from the top. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you are looking like, what is that? <laughs> so here, here's a guy, you know, he's, he's made it this far, and he's standing naked, and all there is is his toes are getting wet. And instruction says, get wet. You missed one little thing. Like the thing. So he's over there, like under the thing, you know, crouching under the, getting a little cup, because you missed one little step. I know this is super ironic and super crazy, but that is really what it would take. So, you, you know, to take a bath, it could probably take 50 steps. If I was to write out how you take a bath from zero, it could possibly be 50 steps. So, okay, bring it back to you. So if your question is, I just want to be happy, that is a very global thinking statement. Because there's no, nothing to grab on. I just want to be happy. Okay, step one. That's linear. You see that? Linear thinking 
like I say, global thinking is not a bad thing when you're talking about business. You, you know, a lot of things. Actually, I'm a global thinker. That's why we do what we do. You know, I'm not, I'm not limited to like, we can't do a church in Hebron. But I'm like, yeah, watch. You can't do missions in Cuba. Yeah, watch. You can't buy a farm. So global things not bad, but when it comes into you, what kind of situations have you just resolved into this overgeneralizing and overthinking? Because it, you, it's really hard. Well, let me, let me back up. Help me, Jesus. Depression, one of the key issues of depression is, is, is your mind not resolving something. Amen? For example, if you have your car payment tomorrow and you have the money in the bank, you probably don't think a whole lot about it. Right? Come on, guys. But if you don't have the money in the bank, guess what? It becomes the biggest thing in your life. So global thinking immediately puts you in a place where, like, I was happy now I'm depressed. Because now I have the situation that's great and I have no way out. No, there's ways out. You can make phone calls, you can adjust. But a lot of times global thinking shuts you down because that thought that you don't have the payment causes anxiety, which eventually causes depression. You agree with that statement? The same thing. You have the money, no depression. You don't have the money, depression. And the only thing that's different was how you approached it. So your global thinking would be, okay, what's the worst case scenario? One way you fix global thinking is always worst case scenario. That's not a bad thing. Worst case scenario, they take my car. Oh, well, positive thought. I'm going to walk, and I'm going to get healthier. <laughs> you guys didn't like that one, right? You look in America. I don't know any other country except America. You could have 15 repos and still go get a car. Somewhere. You agree with that? You go, I'll tell you, you go to Laredo, get one of those pay here, buy here, no credit. You'll get a car. Uh, trust me, you will get a car. So the idea that's the end of your life because your car is being repoed is, is, is not real. Come on, church. You've never been there. I've been there. I've, I've hit my car a few times. I'm not going to say that. What do you mean hide it? From the repo guy, you know, taking somebody else's house. So I get my stuff together and pay it. So be careful not to overgeneralize, overthink, because it does affect problems. So if you really want to you know, start, this, this is the skill. The skill is linear thinking. When you're in a situation where depressive thoughts are, okay, let's get very mechanical about it. Why am I here? I, wanna be, I just want to be happy. No, that's, that's a global statement. No, what's the step one? And every problem that, that is fueling, because a lot of times depression is really about unresolved problems. There's people that will they'll fall into depression and have the solution, but depression has sucked all their life out of them. Are you still here? The solution is quite simple, but depression has sucked all their life out of them. They can't even take that first step. Amen. So be careful to identify global thinking. Next one. i got to hurry up, man. That's taking a lot of time. <laughs> Skill. You reframe your negative thoughts. Example. Instead of thinking I'm a failure, instead of saying I'm a failure, you say I made a mistake. Little, simple adjustments. I made a mistake. That doesn't make me a failure. Because we say a lot of them. I, 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 heard, I say things about myself. I have like this little thing that I'll call myself Mr. Box. You guys don't talk to yourself? Some of you are like, oh, it's getting weird. And I'm like, really, Mr. Box? <laughs> Sometimes I'll say I'm stupid, and 
and I, I don't like that. Well, I don't do it anymore, but sometimes, God, why did you do it? So stupid. That digs, digs, digs. And more you, more you internalize yourself, the less you're going to be able to move forward. Amen? Y'all sit with me? All right, let's go. Next one. So let's get into some quick everyday habits and see if I can land this. Guys, my clock is leaving me. Number one, number one, number one. No top level thing that will fight depression and will get your attitude set in the morning. First thing you do when you get out of bed, start thanking him for everything you can think of. Thank God I'm awake this morning. <laughs> Thank God there's a roof over my head. Thank God there's a car I can get in. I mean, it's, it's because gratitude has a way of punching through the cloud of depression. It's just amazing. So, so starting, you know, one everyday habit. This is uh, habits are not great until you've at least practiced them consistently for over 21 days. That's what, you know, people that know what they're talking about say. So if you're going to do this, you're going to start tomorrow. Wake up. You might feel like you don't want to, you know, oh, it's on lunes, right? Oh, i got to go to work. Thank God. Lord, I have a job to go to. Boom, you just change because, oh, I hate my job. Internal. Right there, internal orientation. You just, whoop, right? You just said it. I hate my job. Can't stand my boss. You haven't even gotten your first cup of coffee. You've already, oh, and that co-worker, hoy, no lo aguanto. You're not even dressed yet. You're already depressed. When your day starts with gratitude, everything gets in perspective. Number one, gratitude. I can't emphasize it enough. I would preach a whole sermon on gratitude. I might later. But gratitude brings you to self-regulating. In other words, manage your mood. Manage your mood. I had a little situation this morning develop in our house because, you know, that Sunday devil that makes everybody late. And with me, it's like obsessive, uh, you know. So I was starting to get, I was all spiritual. I was up at five looking for the Lord. And by 7.59, I was, I'm like, oh, what are you going to preach, Pastor Bob? I went, so I, applied, I applied what I'm going to tell you right here. I immediately went into my room, and I did something. I'm, I'm ahead of my message, but it's, in, it's in, the, in the daily things. You need to learn how to breathe. Simple as breathing. One of the, one of the techniques that we would, we would teach, I mean, part of our safety training um, when I worked in environmental engineering for the, for, the con, for the team. Anyhow, we had a team, specific team, for like spills and like big issues. It wasn't everybody in the department. There was like five guys that were trained, you know, for hazmat, hazmat suits, you know, everything. And one of the things that we would train them on is before they went into a complicated situation, and this is part of the training manual, it's not that we came up with it. We just trained them on this. Let's say there's a spill or there's a fire or there's something in the factory, the team would have to go through breathing exercises. Because what breathing exercises do, again, this is not, you know, weird, it's just science and I'll show you how it works, it sets you back to your base. So when you're starting to get yourself worked up, you know, flight or fight mode, or somebody says something, that's what was happening this morning. I was getting irritated about this, irritated about that. I'm going to be late. Uh, I took time and said, okay. So the first thing I did, I just stopped everything. I stopped arguing, stopped telling everybody, I just sat there and went, breathe. 
big as you can, you hold it, and then you let it out your mouth. And you do about three of those. Try it. And your whole system will reset. Look, don't be worried. Try it as I'm talking. Just do it by yourself. You know, don't be worried. In your nose, hold it, and then out your mouth. You do it three times, you get back to baseline. When you're in the middle of a tight situation where you're going to want to yell your head off at your kids when you're, ah, and that is just building, these are the skills that we're learning. Gratitude, self-regulating, managing your mood, you know, by saying, okay, that's what happened this morning. He says, I looked at my mood like it was separate from me, like, really? And guess what? It was amazing because by the time I got to the truck, it was done. So I didn't have to deal with that. I didn't have to fall into some hole of strife and try to get up here. And, and because for a preacher, that is really hard. Because you don't, you know, you're really sensitive. And to have like a, a disagreement with your wife or with your kids on Sunday morning, it's just, I, that, years ago, I'd sit in my office and say, I'm not preaching, God. I'm mad. You know? So learning these things. So you have the ability to manage your own thoughts, your emotions, and behaviors. And that's what this whole teaching has been about. And, you know, again, depending on how the Lord leads me, we might talk later on about this is, this is really a version of emotional intelligence. We're still talking about emotional intelligence, you know, from a kind of a different angle. But the ability to manage your own thoughts, your emotions and behaviors, then learning te- techniques of self-reflection, self-monitoring, and develop coping strategies for managing stress and emotional regulation. All these, guess what? They're skills. Every one of them. Is, it's not even spiritual. This is all things that every one of you can just start learning. Recognize your mood. Some of you are like, hmm. Yeah, I can recognize it, you moody thing. Positive self-talk. That's what I told you earlier. I, I got to help myself. Talk to yourself positive. Positive self-talk. Try to speak kindly to yourself. Avoid negative self-talk or criticism, even in your thinking. When you're standing in front of a mirror, ladies, say, oh, you're so beautiful, and all that, you know? I can't believe how I look, ah, you know, because makeup's not going to fix that ugly face, you know? Talk to yourself. Everyone, in, well, I'm not everyone, but everyone knows that a child needs to be encouraged, right? Yes or no? When a child falls or fails a test, you don't just burn him down. You say, okay, but, you know, we can do this. You know, come on, parents. If you're a good parent, you never, you know, you had, but, you know, let's see, let's see. Wh- wh- where's your struggle? Let's, let's fix it. It's always like moving forward your kid. Question, why aren't you doing that with you? Why aren't you doing that with you? You're taking great care of your kids, great care of your grandkids, but are you taking the same care of you? Because you're using words of encouragement for those kids. You're telling them how to think. You're encouraging them. You're, you're protecting them. You're giving them healthy food. You're, you're managing their sugar intake. You're managing all kinds of stuff. But for you, you don't take care of any of it. And because of that, now you're in a situation. You have to, you know, that, that's where this whole series started. This whole, you know, the, the idea of this came from the commandment of God. It says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor. And this whole series came from the last phrase, as you love yourself. That's, where, that's, that's the foundation of the series. How do I love myself the same way you would love a child and take care and nourish it and you wouldn't be talking negative over that kid? Well, hopefully you're not and you wouldn't be talking trash over him and telling him he's a good-for-nothing piece of trash, never going to mount for nothing. You're not, hopefully, I mean, if you're that parent, you stay after church. We've got to talk, all right? But assuming you're not that parent, do it for yourself. So daily habits, gratitude, self-regulation, you know, which is the ability to manage your mood. Learning techniques of self-reflection, which I already told you. You know, look at yourself in a third person. Positive talk. Give me the next one. And relaxation techniques. Relaxation techniques such as deep breathing, which I just told you how to do, 
and progressive muscle relaxation. In other words, these are not new. Some people say, that's all new. No, it's not. This is just regular stuff that athletes are trained on, high-stress job people are trained on, firefighters, people that, you know, that have high stress. They're trained on all this because they have to be able to function under really stressful situations with a clear mind. Guess what? That's all we're trying to learn. We're trying to how, to how to manage this life, this thing called the world, this thing called life, with a clear mind. So, learn to relax. What is muscle relax? Well, look it up if you're interested. Just basically, you lay down there, and, and in your head, you, you just pretty much go through every muscle in your body. I mean, this stuff, I, I don't know. I mean, this stuff has helped me. Another one that I'm trying to get myself motivated right now. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting there. There is no comparison to physical exercise. I know you guys are going to boo me on this one. But this, uh, I have his name right here. The guy I've been listening to a lot of this stuff teach this thing. He says that physical exercise has shown to, you know, to, to fight depression like the equivalent of most antidepressants. Just physical. I mean, see, he has done, you know, you know they do studies like these guys work out, you know, make them work out, and they're dealing with depression. They give these guys medicine. And they, then they check their mood, and they check what's going on in their head. Because when you work out, guess what? You're releasing pretty much, you're releasing the natural version of what the doctors are going to give you. Dopamine and serotonin and all this stuff. When you're working out, ah! or you could just be, oh, another pill. Because those pills have all the constant. I mean, if it just fixes it, that's fine. Again, I'm not, I'm not anti-medicine, trust me. I am not. If a pill's going to fix you, take it. We're talking about skills that nobody really taught us that we have authority over what we think. That's what this whole series has been about. Okay, I'm about to line it. Give me the next one. Cultivating inner peace. That's why we're here. A balance through study, meditation, and prayer. When you, you know, in your morning time, again, sometimes you guys are very busy, so, but if you can find a few minutes of cultivating, and that's the time you're thankful, and that's the time you set your little internal GPS to say, I will have a good day. I've said it so many times, you know, when, when I pray for, for my grandson, every time I drop them off at school, every day, you know, the prayer kind of varies. We, breast, we pray for everybody in the family, all the kids, all the teachers, all the staff. We pray everybody, you know. But the last thing we close, we always close with the same thing. And thank you, Lord, because today we're going to have a good day. That's how we close our prayer, every single day. And even if that day kind of goes, I'm still going to have a good day, <laughs> you know. Emphasizing the importance of humility, compassion, and selflessness in one's actions and relationships. The more you grow in compassion, the more you grow in generosity, the more you grow in giving of yourself, guess what? It fights depression like nothing you've ever seen. Because remember, most, most depression is internalizing yourself. So when you're out there, and even though your life is in a hurricane, and but there's somebody that you can reach out and bless, and you can give them a good word, and you can help them out, you are, t- you, are, you are in your own therapy. I'm telling you, and these are the skills, guys. So, you know, little by little, if you're not, well, I don't do exercise, just, just walk around the house tomorrow. <laughs> Start there, you know. And then walk two times around the house. You know, little by little, but incorporate these things. And now we're going to land it. So, surrender, Psalm 4610. This is so good. Surrender your anxiety. Say, I will do that today. I will surrender my anxiety today. That, and realize that I am God, I am God above all nations, and I am exalted throughout the whole earth. He's telling you what to do with anxiety. Surrender it. In other words, give it up. No more. Next one. I believe it's the last one, I think. <laughs> now, 
We're back to where we started. I'm not sure if Paul went through all this <laughs> to get his head back in the game. But listen to the message translation. I'm sorry. Is there, is there another translation? Give me the next one. I'll just skip that one. There we go. Yeah. Same thing. But now the message. The message is so beautiful, so, you know, it's a, it's a paraphrase, you know. But this is the message translation of what Paul wrote, told us at the beginning of the service. It says, don't fret or worry. Well, how, Pastor? Well, instead of worrying, pray. <laughs> Let your petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. That's so good, isn't it? Letting God know your concerns, and before you know it, a sense of wholeness, <laughs> everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. Look at your table and say, settle down. <laughs> it will just come and settle you down. You know, I gave you kind of, you know, the skill set, natural things you can do, human, you know. But now we get into the, the spiritual thing. How many of us consistent? don't raise your hand, don't, no, just really on purpose practice this. Because that would line up to taking a thought journal. Have you sat down and say, I'm worried about something. What is it? Step one, what are you worried about? Linear thinking. Don't globalize it. Linear thinking. I'm worried I will not have the money to pay my car. Okay? What does it say right there? You shape that worry. You take it. You keep working it, and you're still worried, and you still have fear, and Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I know you're going to help me. This is really bad. Help me, Lord. Yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Beloved, I wish above all things you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You take me from victory to victory. I can do all things through Jesus Christ that gives me strength. Now it's starting to fun. Woo! Now I'm starting to get a little excited about this. And you started from down here, and instead of ruminating on a bunch of dumb stuff, you got the word in your head, and you did exactly that. You took, the, but you did it on purpose. You didn't say, "Well, I'm not," because this is what people do. I'm worried about something. If I can just wish it into the cornfield, and and be distracted by whatever distraction I need right now, and I'm, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to binge on Netflix and binge on alcohol and binge on whatever. But guess what? When all that is gone, <laughs> that little monster is going to come right back into your view. And it's going to look at you right in the face. Because you haven't dealt with it. Wishing it away, ignoring it, is not dealing with it. Amen? That doesn't work. I've done that. I did that too many years. I have issues. I have internal issues. We all have our issues. I've ignored it, ignored it, ignored it, until I couldn't ignore it anymore. And then it's like, you going to deal with it or what? So he says, take your worries into prayers. Let God know your concerns. This is one of the most beautiful prayer scriptures because prayer is not, oh, Heavenly Father, here's my, here's my, here, my, here's my Christmas list. Fix, 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 heal, heal, heal. Blah, blah, blah. You know. That's what a lot of people do prayer. This is a conversation. This is something you would be having with your wife or your husband or your friends. This is not a... You imagine how awkward it would be if you, if you talk to your friends like you talk to God? Oh, gracious, H.H., That'd be really awkward. How are thou is doest? Some of you are trying to, trying to talk to God in Elizabethan English. No pueden hablar ni inglés. tantito. Come on, man. Come on, Pastor. Finish. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Boom. Peace. Where did depression go? Out the window. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displays worry at the center of your life. This is so good. I'm just getting pumped by reading it. Summing it up, all friends, I say you'll do the best.
by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you've learned from me, what you've heard and saw and realized. Do that. Do that. Do what, church? Fill your head with the right stuff. Fill your head. In other words, do you think somebody, you know, there's this person that you can't stand? Filter them through that. Oh, I can't stand this person, but I got to think, you know, honest. I got to think good, you know. And pretty soon you'll say, you know what? I'm going to find something good about this person. Well, at least he can be used as a bad example. There, you see? I found something good. Some of you have. You look hard enough, you'll find. You'll find. Put into practice what you learned from me. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Glory to God. Stand to your feet, church. Let's pray this morning, and we're going to take communion. And, guys, you know, we're, we're going to try to get you out on time. But, but I want you to, you know, I'm going to pray right now, and then we're, we're going to take communion right after this. You guys are ready right there. And um, communion, again, I'm not going to teach on communion, but communion, for those of you that are newer, it's not, how can I put it, there is no rules to not have it. People made rules, religion made rules, the Bible doesn't have no rules. Some people say if you're not baptized or if you're divorced and blah, blah, that's not in the Bible. Communion was a covenant ceremony that Jesus practiced. It comes from the roots of communion, come from Passover and Last Supper. If you want to think in those contexts, that's what it was about. Now, communion is a covenant memoir. So I, this is what I want to do. And, I, you know, you do what you got to do. But when I take communion, I just don't say, here's a wine, here's a bread. I bring something to that place of communion. I bring something. I say, Lord... Help me with this. I'm going to take covenant over this situation in my life, and I'm going to be done with it. That's what communion is. And then you, it's so important to you that you don't dare touch it with your head or your mouth because you took communion over it. Well, take communion, obviously, over, you know, you might be dealing with something big. But as a general thing, take communion over what we've been learning. Take communion over it. Say, you know what, God? You gave me this mind. You gave me this brain. You gave me this, this, these emotions. You gave me a will. And it's mine to manage. Amen. Are you here? Depression, anxiety, we break it. And we curse it. Amen. You know what? I'm going to wait till they finish handing out because we're going to pray and take communion back to back. But I want you to start thinking about what you've been learning all these weeks. That you have a path to have a, a, a life that is livable, manageable, and you're not slave to your emotions, you're not slave to negative thinking, you're not slave to depressive thoughts, but you have to develop the skills. I can't emphasize that enough. Take this teaching. I'm going to post the outline on the Facebook so you guys can print it out. But take it one day at a time. Don't give up on yourself. You might, you know, you might do good a couple of days. and you, No, just keep working it. That's a skill. You know, when you try to learn a new part on guitar, it sounds like two cats fighting. You know, but I just keep hitting it. Oh, now it's starting to sound like something. Oh, I got it. You know? So don't give up on this. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, where you've taken this teaching, where you've taken us, where you've taught us these things. And Father, I know there's a lot of ground to cover, but we know something that we're setting our GPS this year, our God positioning system, not GPS car, 
our God-positioning system, that we are yours and we have the mind of Christ. Think about that scripture. We have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to control what comes in. We have the ability to judge what comes in our head and to make proper decisions if that's my thought or not. And I give you glory and praise. And I believe, Lord, that this year you're just going to speak to us as a church. And, Father, we speak against depression and anxiety and we break its curse now in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. We'll go ahead and prepare your little cup as I get the scriptures ready. We, if you don't know how, you peel the little top first and then the wafer is there. Took me a while to figure it out. (laughs) Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Would you get something out of it this morning? Excited to be a believer, right? It's, when you get good word, it's exciting to be a believer. It is. It's not depressed. It's not uh, tedious. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, summarizing a lot of things, and he was trying to teach communion. He was trying to teach covenant to these people. I'm not going to get into big teaching about it, but he begins to explain this, and we come down to verse 23 and says for i have received of the lord that which also i delivered unto you that the lord jesus the same night in which he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped saying this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, this do you often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we honor you. We honor the communion table. And we thank you, Father, that we walk out of this building bigger than we came in with information. And I just pray right now, Father, that this word and this presence will keep us every, every, every moment of our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Amen. All right, well, you can give the Lord a big hand clap if you can with a thing, holding a thing in your hand. <laughs> Ushers, if you may name you may be seated, church. Glory to Jesus. I had asked H to share, but then I ate up all his time, so next week. I asked him to share, and he says, what do you want me to share? I'm like, you're the doctor. Doctor us. <laughs> all right, uh, let me talk a little bit about Cuba, and then we'll be done. Here you go, Freddie. Thank you, sir. So our trip is, is official. We are traveling the 25th. Um, this trip, I'm, I'm taking my grandson with me. It'll be his second time to Cuba. But um, it's going to be a very short trip, and the main scope of the trip is, is really leadership training. And from what I understand, there's, there's some gray areas. Yoel is currently in Miami. But um, I think we, you know, he's going to bring all these leaders and pastors from, from his network of churches and its leadership training and so forth and so on. So, you know, our work in Cuba, I, was, I wanted to share a couple of things, and I kind of debated going back and forth on this one. Yoel's brother, Jorge, he's, a, he's just a really good guy. He pastors a, a church in Placetas, which is a town really close to Santa Clara. And um, he's a carpenter by trade. He didn't have any tools, you know. So, we, you remember, I, I think I told you guys, we talked about, or maybe I just made some phone calls, I don't know, but we were able to move a container, we, we, you know, 
About three churches got together, one big shipping container, and it takes them like three months to get this thing, right? So anyhow, long story short, I bought a full kit for him, and I just gave it to him, you know, one of those um, wireless, yeah, yeah, you know, battery-operated Ryobi, the whole thing, you know? And he just called me, and you should see, I mean, the text, and he was so blessed. But here's what the whole point of it. That inspired him to rent a place, and now he's going to start his own little business, like a storefront, where people bring the work instead of him trying to chase it all over town. He's really good at what he does. And here's the key, once again, part of our work is to create opportunities. We're not there just to tell them Jesus loves them. That's awesome. We're telling them how to train people, you know, teach them the, the word of God, the blessing, all these things, but also to create business opportunities. So right now, currently, you know, of course, the farm was the biggest one. That one employs, has two people on it full time, and it has seasonal employees. You know, when, when we plant, when we harvest, when we plant, harvest. So the farm is a little, you know, machine creating jobs. Um, another gentleman, Carlos, I just got an update on him. He started a sandwich business. He has two employees, and I just found this out. Now he's working 24 hours medium. They sell sandwiches 24 hours at a gas station. And first, that's the guy we bought years ago. If you remember, we bought him a wagon and a horse. That was a one-horse power motor, all right? Well, now he's got two motorcycles. He's gone from horse to motorcycle. Here's my whole point of all these stories. So we got Jorge starting his business. Carlos has got his business going. The farm is working. And now we secured the van. This is a big one. We secured a van. It's still, you know, long story again. I don't want to keep you guys. But now that van, when it's not being used for ministry, will go back and forth to Havana because, you know, we pay for them. We pay 1000 Last time I think we paid 1200 bucks, right, in the van we had each? Oh, you don't know. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. So we had a van that, you know, hauls us everywhere up and down. And that's about 1200 $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $
they move money up there in New York. I mean, come on. The church in the Tribeca, you know, smack the heart, you know, part of Manhattan. But God joins people to purpose and callings. So all I'm saying is pray about your purpose in the, you know, here we go, in the global aspect of what you do here. Because your connection to Cuba, you connect to a grander purpose, and you can talk about it. And it gives you bragging rights. Okay, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm changing history in Cuba. So you're crazy. No, I am. But people's like, oh, another one, last one. Because of every, the structure that we've created, we have three pastors. Well, we still got two more that this church is going to take care of. But three pastors are already taking care of their salaries. That's also going on. We're going to got two more. That's yearly salaries paid, and not not. We're paying them good, hundred bucks a month in Cuba, where the where the your minute a doctor, a medical doctor makes thirty bucks a month. We're paying pastors hundred dollars a month. Well, you're paying for partners. See all this purpose, and the last one is every Sunday. Because of your giving and our partnership with Faith Exchange and everything we do, every Sunday, 200 people get a hot meal at that church. Every single Sunday. They co- Imagine cooking every Sunday for 200. It takes us a whole year to plan one banquet here. Every Sunday, they feed 200 people. And there's crisis in Cuba. There's this horrible. People are leaving mass exodus. But the church is thriving. The church is growing. And it, we're just more and more. And so I'm just excited about what's going to give us. So pray about your part. You know, this is the year we're going to dedicate to this church. We're doing a lot of, we had a great meeting last week. We have a lot of plans. And, you know, we're excited about here. But a big part of what we do is international. So there it is. Anyhow, there's information. Thank you guys for all your support, for everything you do. Go ahead and stand to your feet and I'll get you home. Remember, next Sunday, we got our football Super Bowl, we started this thing a few years ago, and it's been growing, and it's been good. Last year, I'm not going to say who, Lauro, won my hunt. There was a hunt raffled, and so if you guys, what will I go? There was those hunts.